0: Welcome to Christianity 101, lesson number eight. This is world evangelism, or evangelism and world outreach. You, you might find it peculiar that we had to write a lesson on this, but when I started writing these lessons over eight years ago, actually nine years ago now, I was writing lessons, cleaning up this church or taking over the church and reorganizing it and, and learning that I had to get everybody's faith and everybody's vision in unity, and at the time, I had started doing world missions, and I actually was getting blowback. I was getting resistance from some of the church members in those days about what we were doing. And one year, I went to Africa three times. I was, in, I was in a couple countries in October. I was in a country in April. And then back in October again, I was in a couple of countries. So literally in 12 months, I made three trips to Africa. We were in four or five different countries. And this one lady began to bellyache. And she was saying, why does Pastor Chris have to go preach the gospel to Africa so much? Well, number one, I was only gone three times in a year and it was spread over a whole year. And number two, are you an idiot? What do you mean, why does Pastor Chris have to go to Africa so much? Consequently, after that third trip in October, I didn't go anywhere for three or four years. So I thought, do I really need to teach the Great Commission to these people? Apparently so. So she said... We, we should be focusing on Cookville. We should be focusing on, on local folks. Well, we were doing that. We were evangelizing once a month like we still do. And so she kind of got into the evangelistic team. She went a couple times, and then I heard she was belly aching. I just don't understand why we need to go door-to- door. I don't know why we need to bother these people. And so in, eventually she left our church. What it really turned out to be was she was very emotional. This dear sister was very insecure. She was terrified. She was basically one of these ladies you would say is scared of her own shadow. And we went through a season where I taught on bringing your emotions into subjection to the word of God. And sadly enough, just teaching on emotions, she left the church. I was helping her. I was doing my best to teach her the answers, but she left the church because I was beginning to infringe upon her sinfulness or her insecurity or her weakness, She left right. She married somebody, but she's not here anymore. So I thought, I'm going to have to write a lesson on the Great Commission, evangelism and world outreach. So that's what this lesson's about. What is evangelism? Well, the word evangelize is actually a Greek word, and it means to publish glad tidings. It's a word that means to go give good news. Evangelism is telling people about what Jesus has done both in your life and done for them. So good news is both what he's done for you, which is salvation, restoration, healing, deliverance. That's good news. That's testifying. That's being a witness. The Greek word for witness is martyr. It is the word martyr. is where we get our word martyr from. We've We've evolved the word martyr to mean to die for a cause, but the word martyr means to bear witness. So when we preach the gospel, when we are evangelizing, we're not just telling people about what god has done but what god has done specifically for us and what god has done on the cross for them and we can even begin to prophesy if we if we could say it that way what god wants to do for them if they'll receive the good news of the cross of calvary and the resurrection of jesus christ and the justification of sin for all men amen that's what evangelism is i should say it sometimes is uncomfortable it's confront- it can be confrontational. It doesn't need to be, but sometimes it can't help but be. But at the same time, if you've, if you've truly been born again, and if you've walked with the Lord, He's done something in your life, and you're commanded by our Lord to evangelize and reach out to folks, not with good works necessarily, but with the very simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we evangelize? Well, we are commissioned and commanded by the head of the church the lord jesus christ to quote go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that is called the great commission mark 16:15 go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature We do this because it's one of the last commandments Jesus Christ ever gave. In fact, if you couple Mark 16 together with Acts 1, you realize that not only does he want you to go preach the gospel, he wants you to do it with the same spirit he had. He told his disciples in John's gospel, he said, I've got to leave. It's better for you that I leave because if I don't leave, I can't send you the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit comes, he's gonna make you a lot better at the work I want you to do anyway. So think about this. It's so important that we go preach the gospel, Jesus left. I'm going to say it again. It is so important uh, for for us, so important to Jesus that we go preach the gospel that Jesus left us. Why? He left us to give us the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is our evangelistic empower. The whole purpose, mm, I shouldn't say whole purpose, the primary purpose according to Jesus Christ was so that we would be endued with power from on high, Acts chapter one, verse eight, that we would be endued with power from on high that we might be witnesses. Now there's a bunch of other causes and other reasons for having the Holy Spirit so we could bear the fruit of the Spirit, so we could have the gifts of the Spirit, so we could be led by the Spirit. But that all works together for the primary purpose that Jesus Christ stated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power from on high after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be martyrs or witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. So we can summarize it by saying this. It is so important to Jesus that we go into all the world. He left us so he could send us the Holy Spirit. You and I don't have the Holy Spirit just to come to church and sit and have a little bless me party. You and I, it's like some churches, they're like kiddie pools. They come, they sit in a little kiddie pool, they splash a little bit of the Holy Spirit upon them. Yay, we're Pentecostal, yay. But the Lord wants us to be a vessel on the open ocean. There's a big difference between a kiddie pool splashing a little Pentecost on themselves Sunday night and a vast ocean whereby we're called to go preach the gospel. Psalm 106 says, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business upon great waters, they see the mighty hand of God and his marvelous acts among men. I think that's Psalm 106. It might be 107. Let me check that real quick. Talking about kiddie pools versus oceans. It's 107. 23, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. We don't want to just stay here and keep the Holy Spirit in our little comfort zone. The number one thing you're anointed by the Holy Ghost to do is evangelize. To share the gospel, to share the testimony that the Lord's given you through your new birth. The gospel is God's glad tidings. Jesus has come to save mankind from sin, hell, and the devil. That's the good news. The bad news is everybody's going to hell without Jesus. And everybody deserves hell. Everybody purchased it with their own rebellion. But the good news is Jesus Christ has overcome death, hell, and the grave, and he has come and did come to save mankind from sin, hell, death, destruction, eternal separation from God Almighty. We are not only called to preach the gospel but also to teach and make disciples. So look at Matthew 28 together with with Mark 16:15 and Matthew 28:19 and 20. This comes together to to form what we call the great commission. Commission be co as in two or together commission two parts to the mission. We've been commissioned like a soldier. Commission what's our two points as I break it down? When the lost and once we've won the loss to Christ, make a disciple out of them. The, the mission is so simple, only an idiot can mess it up. The mission of the church is so simple, you have to like go to a seeker-friendly conference to learn how to ruin the thing with SUVs on the stage, a rodeo in your congregation, a fireworks show, and sparklers on a Sunday night service. I don't know. There's so many gimmicks today. The Lord spoke to me a couple years ago and said, the church will become an even greater carnival than you have yet seen. That terrifies me because I think the church in some areas is pretty horrible as it is. Uh, Every town has what they call a six flags over Jesus, which is not a positive term. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go you therefore, go, so not sit, but go and make disciples of all nations. That means we don't get to stay in Cookville. We got to go into all the world baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i have commanded you uh, notice that even after the resurrection we're commanded to teach people to observe what jesus taught them jesus taught his disciples before the resurrection there's a common movement right now in the body of christ to ignore anything jesus taught before the resurrection this is, this is a common doctrine in what is now called the hyper-grace movement. It's total heresy. We have men on Christian television teaching us we don't need to pay attention to any red letters before the resurrection because it was under the law. Now, now listen, that contradicts Jesus. Now whether those preachers who are teaching this mean to be anti-Christ or they're just inadvertently ignorant, I don't know. But what they're teaching is antichrist, because Jesus Christ said, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That would be all things in the gospels before the resurrection because the teaching after the resurrection is not quite as big as the teaching before the resurrection. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So the hyper-grace movement violates the great commission. A lot of folks want to think hyper grace is a wonderful new movement. It's, it's about 95% probably heresy and very antichrist in spirit. Antichrist meaning against the teachings of Jesus. This is the job of every Christian. What's that job? To go and teach and make disciples. This is why we evangelize. Right now in our door-to-door evangelism, one of the biggest things we're having to do is encourage Christians that we're meeting, because most of who we're meeting are born again or claim to be, we're having to teach them to be disciples. What we're having to teach them is, hey, you should go back to that church you abandoned. Now, we don't use the word abandoned, but we, we do gent- gently and sweetly encourage them to get back into the church they left. We try to encourage them that the reason their life is a mess is because they abandoned God. Of course, we say it on the more positive side. We say, you know, God wants to be good to you. You're his child, uh, but it's hard to be good to someone who never comes home. So why don't you go back to that church you grew up in? Why don't you go back? Life will get a lot better for you. That's the encouraging voice of an evangelist. It's not the voice of a pastor who's dealing with renegade runaway sheep. I have to do the work of an evangelist. It's not the work of a pastor. It's the work of an evangelist, which is a lot more sweet and encouraging when you're dealing with runaway sheep. Everyone must do this work. Nobody's exempt. Nobody gets to sit on their salvation and never share it. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You shall receive power. The whole reason we've been given the Holy Ghost is to be witnesses. It's not to sit in the kiddie pool of a Sunday night service and sprinkle ourselves with a stale Pentecostal experience. We're to go into Jerusalem. That's our Cookville. We're to go into all Judea. That's the upper Cumberland. We're to go into Samaria. That might be the housing projects or the people you don't like or the people you're afraid of. And then we go into the uttermost part of the earth. So to answer that dear sister, why does Pastor Chris have to go to Africa so much? Because I love Jesus. Why do we have to evangelize so much? Because we love Jesus. Why don't you want to do any of that? It's a good question. Jerusalem is our local area. Judea is our, our region or state. Samaria is the group of people we don't like so much, whatever that might be for you. I was just in Uganda a few weeks ago and I was teaching Acts 1 8, Keramanjong. That's it, Keramanjong. So I, I was among some people that are Lua, that's a tribe. And they're all Lua speakers. They're they're not Lugandans of the Bugandan kingdom or Buganda. Uganda they're in the country of Uganda, but Uganda has many tribes. They don't speak Lugandan, which is the language, nor are they of the Bugandan people. They're Lua. They live north of the Bugandan kingdom. And so we were talking to them and I was teaching this and I said, I said, Who who is your Samaria? And they all looked at each other, and they said, We're Lua. We like everybody. And so I'd never dealt with that before because they really weren't prejudiced or, or bitter at anybody. They were very, a very peaceful tribal people. And they said, but the Karamanjong, they don't like us. Because I said, I had asked, who doesn't like you? They said, oh, they all knew the Karamanjong. They don't like us. That, that's a tribe that lives to the north of them. And then somebody over here on my left said, but the Karamanjong don't like anybody. So we had a good laugh about that. I've yet to meet any Karamanjongs that I know of. I probably need to look into that and see if we can't go minister to them and teach them how to preach the gospel to everybody they don't like. Let them start with Samaria first. The earth is all nations outside of ours. I was also talking with another, uh, an African pastor friend of mine. He's from Botswana. And he was telling me a few years ago, he said, we, we pray for America that America does not fail. He said, we as Africans are indebted to America because America has brought us the gospel. America brought us the gospel. America set us free. America has sown missionaries for hundreds of years. And we are praying as Botswanans that America reaps the harvest of their missionary seed and not the harvest of their sinful seed. I thought that was a pretty good prayer. He recognized that Americans, that being in the Christian nation that we are, we've sown more missionaries than anybody ever probably. Now we're probably about to be surpassed by the South Koreans. That's a Christian nation that loves the gospel. But I don't know if any nation has spent more money on world missions than the United States of America. We've been very faithful to Acts 1-8 as best as folks knew how to. We are indebted to all people about the glad tidings of Jesus Christ. This is our commitment. This is our job. Uh, You as a Christian, you don't get to simply come to church and be taught the Word of God. In recent times, the, the American church has grown very complacent, very lazy. One of the things we've done in the last 60 years is America has pioneered entertainment as a culture. And so as America began to pioneer entertainment, both from stage shows then radio came along and people began to listen to radio programs. So they would sit down and listen to a radio program and be entertained. And then came the silent picture show. And so the silent movies. So then people would go to the theater, sit down and be entertained and then get up and leave and do nothing. And then came the, the sound pictures, the, uh, the, what do they call them? Noisies or soundies. There was a term for the first picture shows that had sound folks began to learn to go and sit down and be entertained and then there was concerts and and so now one of the one of the major threads in the fabric of America is our entertainment culture where we come we sit down we're entertained we're taught we're educated we're made to laugh we're made to cry uh, we were made to enjoy music but in entertainment once you're done you get up and you do nothing well, honestly, I think you would understand that today Americans do way more entertaining or receive way more entertainment than they do Christian instruction. And so what's happening inadvertently is Christians in the American nation, that's you probably, you're coming to church and you've already been conditioned by our culture that you come here and you sit down in our nice chairs and you listen to the worship team. And so it's like a concert. And then the concert's over, and then you're made to laugh, you're made to cry, you're made to take notes, you're made to be entertained through the sermon. And because you're more entertainment disciple than you are a kingdom disciple, once you get up, you're totally conditioned to go and do nothing with what you've just learned. Because maybe you don't realize it, but part of the American culture has you in the back of your mind coming to church as another form of entertainment. This is just Sunday morning entertainment. This is a church-flavored entertainment. The entirety of the gospel says hogwash to that because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. James says, if we hear the word and don't do it, we're deceived by our own selves. And here Jesus said, go into all the world. Go, go ye, not sit ye. Go ye, not just take notes ye. Go and teach, go and preach, go and reach, go and share, go and testify, go and bear witness. We're going to have to turn this culture around. Now, in our church, we try to teach that on a regular basis. We we provoke people to come down and enter into worship. We're doing our best. I could probably do better to, to make a point, to teach people how to lift their hands, to enter in, to receive from heaven to listen to the voice of God, to listen to the word being preached. We could probably do a lot more. We need to, to teach Christians how to lay entertainment out the door because this is not entertainment. Though the seeker church has built their massive complexes through the entertainment flavor. They've, they've tapped into that. They've not made for stronger Christians. They've just exploited that weakness in the American believer. Let's look at some bullet points here. Let's get some reasons for why we do this. Luke nineteen ten got some reasons why we evangelize. Luke 19. Evangelism is one of the most biblical things you could ever do, other than maybe reading your Bible, which is instantly biblical, assuming your motive is right. If your motive is to prove somebody wrong or to fall asleep, that may not be the best motive to read your Bible. There's a couple things that the Bible teaches outright that you do it, God's on you. Number one, pray. You pray to Jesus, pray in the name of Jesus, to the Father, God's on you. Uh, You share your faith, God is on you. You open that Bible and read it to get to know God, God is on you. These are like the three most basic things you can do as a Christian to get God instantly on you. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus Christ said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So the first reason, maybe not in any uh, necessary order. We evangelize in order to seek and save that which is lost. So we have to go out. We have to go out into the highways and the hedges. We have to go out into the community. We cannot expect people to get saved in church. We have to go out and seek and save that which is lost. Seek it out and then save it. Seek it out and go rescue them. Find them where they're at. Share our faith with them. Maybe plant the seed of the gospel. Maybe water the seed of the gospel. But if we're entertainment-minded, we're going to expect them to come here and want to join our ranks. That's lazy American Christianity. We must go out. You ought to pray on a regular basis. Lord, give me the lost. Lord, give me someone. Lord, give me the lost. Give me the lost as an inheritance. That's what he said to pray there. I think it's in Isaiah. Give me the heathen. Give me the Gentiles as an inheritance. Second reason. We evangelize because God is not willing that any should perish. Let's read that verse in 2nd Peter. These are good scriptures worth looking at. 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see here that God is not willing that any should perish. We evangelize because God wants to save. He doesn't want anybody going to hell. It's pretty simple. I'm not really sure what the Calvinists do with that verse. Actually, I do. It's pretty ignorant. It's inventing a loophole to jump through. They say it's understood in that verse that he only wants to save the elect. But I digress. That's another topic altogether. We evangelize because God wants all to be saved. Our third reason, we evangelize because without the gospel, man's ignorance will cost him dearly. Let's look at Acts 17. Read that verse. And then we're going to look at a few few ways we can evangelize. Acts 17, verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's a commandment for all of mankind everywhere. Repent. The ignorance in times past, not today, but in times past, God winked at because now he commands every man to repent, verse 31, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men and that he has raised Jesus from the dead. We evangelize because without the gospel, man's ignorance will cost him eternally. We have to preach the word because faith comes by hearing. And how shall they know except they hear. And how shall they hear except the preacher preach? How shall a preacher preach except they be sent? We have to make sure we're that preacher. We're that evangelist. Here in a minute, we'll look at some ways to do that. You don't have to start off preaching on a street corner. You may never preach on a street corner, but I don't want you to be intimidated to share your faith. It can be a simple Jesus loves you. I I tell you maybe a fitting story. I think this is powerful. If you're watching this or listening, you're probably familiar with the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ. It came out 2004. Very powerful movie about, of course, the the betrayal and the torture and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I I saw an interview with Mel Gibson and uh, I think Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus Christ. And they were talking about, they're at dinner. They're like at a little outside diner. And I don't know if they were in Europe or if they were somewhere in America, but they're outside and Mel Gibson is pitching the idea to Jim Caviezel about, he wants to make a movie about the passion of Jesus Christ. Passion means suffering. We think of passion differently, but passion means suffering. So the suffering of Christ in the garden at the hands of the Romans and then on the cross and then his death, burial and resurrection. And so they're, they're pitching the idea around and and, and I think Mel Gibson was still a little reluctant about it, and he wasn't sure if God wanted him to do it. Uh, uh, Mel Gibson is a Catholic, and it's is part of a kind of a devout, orthodox thing. If you've seen the movie, you know it's anointed of God. It, 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 it is a very powerful movie, but Mel Gibson said they're having dinner in this outside little bistro, and this woman walks up, and uh, she, she doesn't recognize who this is, doesn't realize it's a Hollywood actor and a Hollywood producer actor. And she, he said she spoke with a heavy French accent, but she said, uh, excuse him, I do not know how to say this, but um, I feel I should say um, Jesus loves you. You know, she, she doesn't speak perfect English. She speaks French, but she felt compelled of God to witness. You know, maybe she's not as accurate in the Holy Spirit as she could, but she felt the Spirit of God leading her to these two total strangers, having no idea what they're talking about. And the best she can do is say, Jesus loves you in her broken English. And Mel Gibson, according to the interview, said that's the confirmation he needed to go ahead and make the movie which is a really cool story because she didn't say, thus says the Lord, move forward with this endeavor. Thus says the Lord, it shall prosper. It will accomplish that which the Lord sends it. All she could say was, Jesus loves you. (laughs) And they looked at each other and realized we need to make this movie. That's a sign from God, a confirmation from the spirit of God. I saw the movie twice in the theater and it changed the entire atmosphere of the mall I saw it at the first time. And after the second time I saw that movie, I said, I don't need to see this movie again. It is exhausting. It is too difficult to watch. Our next point, we evangelize because we are all called to do work, do the work of an evangelist. 2 Timothy chapter four. 2 Timothy chapter four. Verse five, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. That doesn't mean, that means you don't get to quit. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry or fulfill your ministry. Prove that you're in the ministry. I like that. Be watched means keep your head in all situations. But notice the middle part there. Do the work of an evangelist. This scripture is for everybody. You may not be called to be a full-time evangelist like the Reverend Billy Graham was or Reinhard Bonnke is. But you're called to do the work of of an evangelist. The Great Commission is for everybody. I love it. My little girls, specifically Lydia right now, she tells all her friends uh, about Jesus. She's doing the work of an evangelist. She keeps every night just about, she prays uh, that one of her dear friends will come to church with her. And we don't know why he won't, but she keeps praying he will and that he will. Our children, they're fearless. They don't know, they don't, they've not developed the, the, the conception, the, the notion that they might be rejected for Jesus. They just want to tell people about Jesus. Even the children fulfill this. You and I have to as well. Romans 10, 13 through 15. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. This is our last point. Why do we do this? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? We do the work of an evangelist because they have to call upon him, but they can't call upon someone they've never heard of. How shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Consider this message, this video, this audio. This is your commissioning. God is sending you to begin to look for people to tell to begin to look for someone to lay a hand on in public and pray for, or just demonstrate Christian fruit to. Not all evangelism has to be in your face preaching and pleading. Some of it is letting your light shine. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Romans ten thirteen through 15 We have to go. As 1 Corinthians says, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. You don't have to worry about harvesting. You just plant or water. God will give the increase. Maybe you get to do the harvesting, but whether they reject you or receive you, all you do is scatter the seed and sling the water. Scatter the seed and sling the water. If they want to be harvested, they'll just fall off in your lap. You'll find that when they're truly ready to be harvested, You don't have to get a combine out there. You don't have to get a machete. I I used to work on a vegetable farm, and the hardest thing we ever harvested was uh, cabbage. Man, cabbage is tough. We'd have to roll the thing over because it has a bunch of leaves you can't use. You'd have to roll that head of cabbage over. We always sharpen our knives every morning, and you'd have to saw that thing. The cabbage was ready, but it really wasn't that ready. It didn't just fall off in your lap. I have found in evangelism and even in church services and preaching when people are ready to be harvested, they all but command like the book of Acts, tell us what must we do to be saved? That's basically the fish jumping in the boat for you. If they're not ready to jump in, you just water. If they're not ready to jump in, you just sling seed. It's up to God. He, he does the work. He's the workman. He's the husbandman. You and I, we sow and water. That's it. God giveth the increase. We don't have to convince anybody. So look at our last page here, our last section. How do we evangelize? You can share the gospel of Jesus Christ by many means and methods. Door-to-door, one-on-one. Uh, John chapter 4, we see Jesus doing that uh, there with the Samaritan woman at the well. He sits down with her going about his daily business and has a, an encounter with a half-breed someone who the Jews couldn't handle. And he won her to the gospel and she goes back to Samaria as an evangelist. So that's a pretty cool example of one-on-one. That can often be uncomfortable because usually it's a total stranger. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, uh, we see that they're public, publicly evangelizing the impotent man at the gate beautiful. Peter and John are in a pair going together to pray and evangelism, requires them to readjust their prayer schedule. Never be so religious about prayer. You can't stop and raise somebody up from their, 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 their sickness and their disease. Uh, you look at uh, Acts 8. That's um, Philip joining himself one-on-one to the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, the Ethiopian eunuch converts, and he is sown then from Israel into Ethiopia as the gospel. And then Acts chapter 16. Let's see, do I know this story off the top of my head? Paul and Silas evangelizing the 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 jailer at Philippi, the Philippian jailer. This is easy. It's one-on-one. Sometimes it's hit, sometimes it's a miss. Sometimes you sit down with a total stranger and you share the gospel with them, and they'll cuss you, run you off, look at you, reject you. Sometimes you can sow. Sometimes it becomes a philosophical debate. Sometimes it's an exchange of their ideas for yours. You reject theirs because they're probably pagan, but you just keep sowing the word. This is a very effective method. It's very biblical. Jesus demonstrated it. Uh, then there's public preaching. And we're often t- terrified of that, but it's, it's useful Paul did it. Acts chapter 17, Paul at Mars Hill, verses 22 through 32. He's publicly preaching in a political arena to, to kind of like the city leaders at Mars Hill. This, this is one way to do evangelism. I, I'm also mindful, our third point here is Christian love and lifestyle. And this one's worth noting because if you're really zealous, you may, you may need to learn how to be subtle, you may need to learn that there are multiple ways to preach the gospel and to evangelize. Uh, I'm mindful that evangelists, those that are truly called to evangelism, they often have very little tact or subtlety or slickness or wisdom. So I'm reminded of the passages, the gospels, uh, and I often teach this when it comes to evangelism, about uh, the Lord said, no man lighteth a candle to put it under a bushel. That's That's pointless. But what does he do with the candle? It relates to lamp. Candles weren't made for about another thousand years. Wax candles, as we understand. So this is an oil lamp. So what do, you, what do you do once you light the lamp? Well, you set it in a high place, not under a bushel or a basket, but under, in a high place so that all that come in can enjoy the light thereof. So this is like lighting the light in your house and everybody that knows you, everybody that comes through your house gets to enjoy your light. This speaks to us of our third point of Christian love and lifestyle, letting your light so shine before all men, salting everything. This is a a subtle or we might say a passive form of evangelism. This is you letting your light shine. This is you being the hardest worker on the job. This is you not cussing on the job. This is you being the hardest worker in the the classroom or in the professor's uh, arena, uh, having the highest nobility uh, or, or honor, being the most honorable coworker, the most honorable employee, the most honorable volunteer, wherever you volunteer at, being the hardest anything, this thing that exudes honor. And this is critical because this technique is necessary if you're going to win people that you have to be around all the time. Those that are around you all the time know your ins and outs. They know your nuances. You become comfortable with them. You know them on a first-name basis. You maybe know their wife's name, their kid's name, their husband's name. You know their likes and their dislikes. It almost like becomes family. This really applies a lot to family, but also to coworkers. And maybe if there's any hobby or sport you do on a regular basis where you've become a team and you become somewhat intimate. These are the kind of people you let your light shine just like the parable of letting the light be in a high place in a house so that everybody comes in they enjoy it. Evangelists are horrible at that style of evangelism which they shouldn't be. They're horrible at that because everybody they meet they've got to get up in their face and make sure they're right with God. That's going to turn a lot of people off because it lacks wisdom and subtlety. The gung-ho evangelist will say, well, bless God, it's my call, it's what I do. Well, no, 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 no. Jesus was a much better evangelist than you'll ever be. Jesus didn't preach the gospel the same way everywhere he went. He was subtle. He, w- he went a lot of different ways. He was in and out. He was ebbing and flowing. He was almost like a boxer. He was bobbing and weaving. With the Samaritan woman, he didn't just sit down and say, are you right with God? Do you know Jehovah? He sat down and said, hey, why don't you get me something to drink? And he slowly began to pull his life alongside her life and began to, I hate to use the word because it's so new age, but he began to engage her and begin to open up her life and see if she would have discussions with him. And his whole end game is to put the gospel in her. He didn't ground and pound her. He wasn't yelling at her. It doesn't say he stood up on that well and preached at her for having five marriages and shacking up. He just called it out. We've got to learn these subtle ways of evangelism. Now on the other hand you have the other parable where Jesus said if a woman lose one of her coins in the house does she not immediately open up all the windows that lets light in? Light a lamp. Call for people to come help. And thrust that lamp into the dark places sweeping the floor till she find that coin. Now picture the two images. One is a lamp set in a high place and it sits there and people come and go about their business. And yet that's the gospel light. In the other parable, it's a woman who's lost a coin. She thrusts open windows. That's action. She calls for friends to come help. That's action. She lights a lamp it in the darkness. That's action. She begins to sweep and tear things apart until she finds that coin. That's action. One is passive evangelism. One is very aggressive in your face evangelism, but they both have the gospel lamp. I see the woman who's lost her coin as that stranger you meet on the street who you may never see again, who you can be a lot more aggressive with. You're trying to get as much help to win them to the gospel. You're trying to open up as many windows of light as you can. Not just one window, but as many windows as can you surround them with light. And then you're thrusting the light in their face looking for the coin. Now that coin, according to Jewish culture, it was was part of a wedding veil. This is from my studies years ago. They would wear these, this kind of a wedding veil. Maybe you've seen something similar. And it was a lines of coins that were tied together or wired together. And so it was a, I don't know if it was a dowry or a bride price, but there was money in front of her, but it was, it was part of her wedding gown. And it was important to her. So if that coin had fallen off, it's incomplete. It's precious to her. It's like losing your engagement ring, we might say. That's precious. You're going to do everything you can to find that. That is aggressive evangelism. Both are necessary, but we've got to pray for the wisdom to know which is which. My wisdom, my judgment says on the job, you light that lamp and set it in a high place and let your light so shine before men. If it's a total stranger, open up the windows and get to sweeping. I remember years ago when I did judo, I didn't go to judo to evangelize. I went to judo because I wanted to learn how to kill people. Uh, not necessarily just kill people. I wanted, I wanted the sport. I wanted to work out. I wanted to learn a martial art. But I wasn't going to compromise my Christianity. So I didn't cuss. I took care of the guys. You become like a family when you do judo and jujitsu three days a week for two years. I was there for about two years. When guys would get injured, I'd ask them if I could pray for them. Nobody ever told me no. Not even the atheist PhD from Oak Ridge National Laboratories. He never rejected my prayer to lay hands on his back. I let my light so shine before all men. I never quoted any scripture but once. And we had these, uh, these, these black belts in taekwondo come in. They wanted to start cross training in judo and jiu-jitsu. And these guys were kind of smug. They had an attitude on them. Uh, but, but Mr. Carter, my instructor, was very gracious. After they'd been coming for a couple weeks, at the end of every class, we'd circle up and we'd bow out, which is kind of a Japanese tradition. But we'd also discuss the workout and see if we could do anything better. What do we enjoy, what do we learn? You know, kind of like a debriefing. And these guys raised their hand one time, and they said, we we wanna have a Bible study at the end of every class. And that made me mad, because I thought, these guys are my family. I've been letting my light shine. We don't know you. You do come, you got attitude, and now you wanna have a Bible study? And that, that discussion lasted after judo class for about an hour. And they got, they got mad because Mr. Carter said, well, if I let you do a, a Bible study, I got to let the Hindus do their class and I got to let the Buddhists. He said, really, we're just here to do judo. And Mr. Carter, nobody ever mentioned my Christianity. Mr. Carter said, Chris, you're a Christian. What do you have to say? I said, sir, I have nothing to say. I said, I got nothing. So those guys, they, didn't, they were so offended realizing they'd been shut down. Turns out they were Calvinists and, and they wanted to push their Calvinistic doctrine. They didn't go to the back with us to the change room. They just left and they never came back. So we're in the back room changing. And uh, so the guy said, well, Chris, you're a Christian, man. You could have spoken up. You're real quiet. Why didn't you say anything? And the only thing I had to say, and it, it was really, I believe the spirit of God, I said, well, even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. And I didn't even say that's the Bible. I just was quoting. You know, it could have come from a fortune cookie for all they know. I said, even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. And this guy here, he said, that's in the book of Proverbs, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is. Well, a week or two went by, and this guy who I'd been working out with, he comes to me in the parking lot and says, hey, I, I kind of, it seems like you know a lot about the Bible, I never quote the Bible. I barely quoted half of a proverb, didn't even give it reference. And to him, it seems like I'm this expert. We stayed in the parking lot that night and I taught him the Bible for two hours in a drizzling rain. He got born again a few days later, got spirit filled a few days after that, started attending our church. And at one point, I I didn't estimate, I counted, we had 12 people, college and career age at our church because of him. All because I wasn't a ding-dong taekwondo idiot thrusting a light into the faces of people, burning their eyebrows when the situation and the scenario called for a lamp in a high place. We have got to really, really, really carefully learn to be evangelistic and learn the nuances of it. There are times when we're bold and brash and in your face, and then there are times where we're just the hardest worker, on the assembly line, or were the best uh, student in the professor's classroom. One final story, going through college, my, my major was uh, soil science, that's my minor, geology, earth science. Most of my professors were, were atheists, they are evolutionists. I was the hardest worker, with the exception of, of one class, I got all A's and a B. I got a C in sedstrat, sedimentology and stratigraphy. I'm not really sure why. I really enjoy that class. I still use it to this day. I was the hardest worker. Some of those professors picked on me, but I never flinched. I never preached at them. I never got in their face about anything. I just did my best. They knew I was a Christian. They knew me and one other guy were the Christians, and, and they kind of ruffled, ruffled us a little bit, but we just endured. And to this day, I still maintain a relationship With several of those professors. Now, two of them are born again, the others are not, and I still see those that are not from time to time. Actually, one of the professors who didn't like me at all, I'm talking about soft passive evangelism, because you never know what it'll do for you. Now, I'm all for being blunt, I'm all for being bold when the Holy Ghost tells you to. But just a few months ago, I was at the hospital visiting one of our church members. And come walking down the hallway is one of the professors who probably the professor that despised me the most for being a Christian. And I see him and it's a lonely long hallway corridor. And and I say, doctor. And he says, Chris. It's been 20 years since I was in college. Chris. I said, sir, how are you doing? He said, good. I said, what are you up here for? He said, well, actually, he said, my wife has had a heart attack. And uh, so I was visiting her. And I said, well, that's horrible. He said, what are you up here for? I said, well, I'm up here to, to pray for a, a church member who's going through some, some uh, surgery and whatnot. Uh, and he said, oh, he, he said, are you still pastoring? Are you still preaching? I said, yes, sir. And he said, would you mind to go and pray for my wife? It would really mean a lot to her. I said, sir, I'd be honored to. Now think about this. This is a professor who I almost think blackballed me on some stuff academically because I was a Christian and he was not. But I let my light shine without ever getting in his face or preaching. I had jumped through any hoop and hurdle. He's one of the only bees I ever got in college in, in earth science. But 20 years later, and I've talked to him since graduating, he knows me. He knows I'm the local pastor. He asked me to go in there and pray for his wife. The man's not a believer. So I went in there and told them who I was. And the wife said, I've heard stories about you. And the wife, she let me pray and lay hands on her. The two children who were grown are in there. You can tell they are probably not Christians at all. I got to share the gospel with them. I got to talk about Jesus Christ and healing with them and lay hands on them. And these are all people who, if I'd have met them on the street they would have totally rejected me as a conservative Christian nut job. As it is, when I left there, tears were in everybody's eyes and I was still marveling, thinking only the Lord Jesus could orchestrate such a cool scenario. I got to pray for the family of my nemesis and he asked me to do the praying. That's the example of soft touch evangelism. Letting your light shine. Amen. Amen. I'm way over time. I hope you've learned something out of this class. We're going to be always, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, we're going to be doing door-to-door evangelism and worldwide outreach. Father, we thank you for the gospel that you've given us. Bless those that listen. Bless those that watch. Bless our new members and our new converts in Jesus' name. Amen.